This episode of Info Product Mastery, we have Justin Fairman on the show, the former CEO of LearnDash, the premier WordPress plugin for creating and selling online courses. This is Info Product Mastery, episode 28. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers make life-changing money by building and selling online courses. I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Justin Ferriman on the show. Previously, Justin was the CEO of LearnDash, the most powerful learning management plugin for the WordPress ecosystem. LearnDash was acquired in 2021, and now Justin operates GapScout, an application that analyzes reviews of your business and your competitors and finds profitable gaps in the market. I'm really excited to have Justin on the show today because he's a true expert in info products and online courses. In fact, the first course I ever created was hosted on a combination of the MemberPress WordPress plugin for memberships and recurring revenue and the LearnDash plugin for course management. That course went on to make multiple seven figures in revenue during the time I ran PyMage Search, and LearnDash made it dead simple to run the course on the WordPress platform which was really nice because I started using LearnDash within the first 12 months of running PyMidSearch, and I honestly didn't have the knowledge of online courses that I did back then. Secondly, using LearnDash helped me keep my costs down, since platforms like Kajabi can cost upwards of a few hundred dollars a month. Honestly, I owe a lot of PyMidSearch's success, especially in the early days, to Justin and the LearnDash crew, so it's not only professionally rewarding, but personally rewarding as well, to have him here. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you for that warm welcome, Adrian. And uh, I just want to say the success that you had is 99.9% all you. You know, we provide the shovel to find gold and provided the shovel back when I was running it. But like you found the gold and you found a way that resonated with your audience. So congratulations to you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. So what what prompted you to start Learn Dash? Like you was this, were you always interested in online course creation or were you just kind of working the nine to five and just trying to find some avenue out of that so you could run your own business? Like, what was the inspiration? Both, really. Before LearnDash, I was a consultant for Accenture and I would go to Fortune 500 companies and set up their online learning programs. And I remember I was on a project one time and we were talking about, okay, which LMS are we going to use? And this was back in 2011 or 2012, something like that. and. I had to do some research for an LMS and LearnDash at the time, you know, now obviously in the, the WordPress LMS space, it's pretty crowded. But at the time, there was nothing there. And so I went to look on the WordPress repo just for fun. I was a blogger. I used to use WordPress just in my spare time and there was nothing. So I started a blog just to talk about the concept of e-learning and online courses with WordPress. Uh, you have to remember back in that time, a lot of LMSs were very enterprise, very clunky, more of a corporate software. Yeah, I'm um, kind of thinking of like more... Blackboard for college users, you know, exactly, just that horrible, exactly. horrible experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what I saw in WordPress was this ability to have a flexible platform that adapted to the, the learning that somebody was putting out there. The course content could grow with somebody as their, as their courses became more complex or their learning management needs became more complex as well. And so I just started a blog, right? And I just talked about that concept. And I put a little email sign up form at the top. It was like a two page blog. And people started signing up to learn more and LearnWheel is going to be released. And at a certain point, I decided to move forward 
and have that created. And that should clarify for your audience, like I'm not a developer, I'm a business mind. And so I found somebody, I found an agency to create that version 1.0 and then worked with contract developers for a while before I started hiring in-house. Yeah, that's the Reader's Digest version of, of how it came to be. Wow, that's that's interesting. I didn't realize that you paid an agency to to develop that for you. That must have been like quite the upfront financial investment and quite the risk for you to do. Yeah, you know, it kind of was. I had been saving, obviously, through my corporate career. I was saving for opportunities. I had tried other businesses, starting other businesses to get out of the nine to five, as we were talking about. You know, some had marginal success selling what, you know, built something, sold a website, made a few thousand dollars. So I had some savings there, but it was a risk. I was nervous, but I figured at that time, uh, you know, I was in my 20s, you know, I didn't have family or anything. So it just made sense to make that jump. So I, I was fortunate. I worked Learn Dash and then my corporate career for a little bit. And then after about four-ish months of doing both, I quit my corporate job. Nice. That's that's awesome. I think it's hysterical. Like you and I were kind of talking offline, like, our businesses were, you know, acquired literally like the, the final paperwork was not only the same month, but the same day. And like, it's <laughs> yeah. hysterical. And then also we, we kind of had these like similar personal paths. Like I was looking back at like when you started Learn Dash, and it was within six months of when I, when I had started PyImage Search. And like we mm-hmm. both like grew quickly. We were able to quit our jobs. I quit. Or actually, I didn't really quit. I effectively like our job. I was a contract worker and our contract with the state of Maryland was canceled. So I had a choice between going getting a new contract job or doing Pi and Search full time. And like I decided to do Pi and Search full time. But that was within like six months of of me starting the business. And I think I think it's hysterical the, the similarities that you and I have had without really having any one on one interaction with each other before. No, no, I know. That's pretty Yeah, that's that is pretty funny. Can't believe it worked out that way. <laughs> So why should course creators consider using WordPress and the Learn Dash management system? Like what's what's the benefit there? Well, you know, WordPress, as you alluded to, obviously there's some cost benefits to choosing it. I think one of the greatest assets of WordPress and then Learn Dash on top of it is that it can grow with a learning program. It can be modified when a new need comes up or maybe a new method in online learning very quickly. Whereas if you're using a hosted platform, Teachable or something like that, you're kind of stuck in their ecosystem and you can only do what they allow you to do. The hosted platforms that are out there for the mass market pale in comparison to the amount of features that something like LearnDash could offer. I know this is important because for a good number of years, I was doing support and pre-sales for the business, obviously, when I was running it. And people had very unique needs for their learning program. They had a vision and and good for them. They had this vision about what they wanted. Some wanted more quizzes, certain quiz question types and ways for those points to be added up and maybe unlock new content. That kind of stuff is possible in LearnDash. If there isn't something in LearnDash specifically, it's usually possible by integrating another plugin on your WordPress site. And then there's the benefit of using something like WooCommerce, which is obviously very well regarded with uh, the e-commerce space. So LearnDash integrates seamlessly with WooCommerce, allowing people to create different upsell, downsell funnels, take care of any tax things that they need to. And so you kind of get the best of both worlds by connecting those two pieces of technology. In a sentence, I just feel like when you're using WordPress, you're owning the content. It's yours. It's not on a shelf with somebody else's tech stack. It's your tech stack. 
There's obviously a little bit of a learning curve. If you're not familiar with WordPress to kind of get things going, you have to test a little bit more, do a little more QA, but it's worth it in the end. Yeah, it sounds like it's a bit of reduction in platform risk as well. You know, sure. Javi, Teachable, Podia, like they could all kick you off at, at any given moment. So by you owning that entire stack, you know, that reduces platform risk significantly. It really does. Actually, I have a concrete example of that for people that sold on, oh, what is it? It's the the big marketplace. I think it's been a minute since I've even thought about them. But they were on a different platform. The platform changed their rules about which types of courses could be sold. Oh, okay. And immediately, a bunch of creators lost their ability to to make an income based oh, so on... So it was kind of like, maybe, a, like a Udemy or like a plural site, one of those It was. It was Udemy. Thank you. Okay. It was escaping me. So it was Udemy. They changed their policy. And people were kind of scrambling. Like, where do we do it? Where can we go next? And that's just an example of the lack of control and how things can change, you know, in an instant to your bottom line. I mean, that's not the kind of risk that I would ever want to take with my business. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you're talking about how customizable the WordPress ecosystem is. I, I 100% agree with you. And when I first started using LearnDash, like the payment system wasn't fully integrated yet or like the mm-hmm. checkout pages weren't quite what I wanted. They have since then like dramatically improved. And if I if I were to create a brand new course now, like I would use use LearnDash fully for the entire experience. But back back then I was using MemberPress to handle registrations and, and payments and everything. And what was so cool about that was that I was able to integrate like almost any payment method that I wanted. So I could use Stripe for credit cards, I could use PayPal, I could do one-time fees, I could do recurring fees. And that doesn't sound like much, but back in like like 2015, 2014, like not all platforms had that. And even today, like you go to Teachable or Podia, they don't offer PayPal checkout at all. Or if they do, they don't have it for recurring PayPal payments. You'd have to go to Kajabi to do that. And like Mm -hmm. Kajabi can get, it's a great platform, don't get me wrong, but you could easily be paying a few hundred dollars a month just for that platform. And yeah. you can't really customize it that well. Whereas using WordPress and LearnDash, I mean, you're paying only a few hundred bucks per year and you have complete mm-hmm. control over it. And I think that's just a huge plus of, of the LearnDash and, and WordPress ecosystem. Yeah, and to add on to your payment gateway point, a lot of times these hosted platforms, they'll let you use PayPal and Stripe, but then they add their own percentage on top of it. So you mm-hmm. have to pay the 2.9% plus 30 cents for Stripe plus 2% just because. <laughs> and you could just avoid that 2% actually too. And, and 2% is on the low end. I've seen it 5% is usually pretty common or it could be higher. So wow. you just don't even have to deal with that headache when you're running it yourself. In your experience, you know, just seeing tons of people come through the LearnDash system, tons of creators, do shorter, like concise courses or longer, more in-depth courses tend to do better in terms of sales and customer retention? So the biggest part or the biggest hurdle for an online course creator is getting people to complete the course. And I've always been a big advocate into building out a course into bite-sized chunks. LearnDash have functionality that would enable that. And so the reason for that is beyond just an organization component. It's also because you want the learner to feel like they're getting momentum into the course because the more momentum, the more progress they make, the more commitment they're going to have to finishing the course. Because if you think about it, and maybe this was the case with you, Adrian, with your courses, but you probably had some kind of upsells or sales at the end of the course. And if people weren't finishing it, then that's a chunk of people that were not getting that message. So 
there's a vested you know, dollar figure interest in getting people through the end of the course. One way to do that is to create more lessons, breaking out the content to micro lessons, because people are going to be more likely to just sit down and knock out five small lessons than to find time in their calendar to sit down for an hour long lesson, just, you know, sitting on their couch. That said, it does depend a little bit on the subject and then just like your own knowledge of, of the topic. If it's something in depth, it might require more time and that's okay. Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes I made with the first course I created was it was just this large monolithic course. And it was kind of meant to be the practical side of a, of a graduate degree in, in computer vision. So writing software that can understand what's in an image. So I just kind of scoped out like, here are the popular topics that are taught to a grad school student who's studying computer vision. And but the, the grad school, you know, they're going to focus more on theory. They're not going to focus on the implementation of the coding of how you get these things done. So I want to focus on the coding inside this course. So I mapped out, I think it was like 13 modules in the course. Each mm-hmm. module had a bunch of lessons to it. And before I knew it, I had signed myself up to create this course that had like 170 lessons inside of it. Wow. And it took me it took me like six or seven months to put this put this course program together. Thankfully, I was I was able to do it, but man, it was it was brutal. It was so much time. It was so much effort to get that course off the ground. And you know, luckily, it did sell really well. But I I don't think that's because of anything I did. I just think at that time, computer vision, deep learning, those were the hot fields in, in artificial intelligence. And since they were so new, there weren't that many mm-hmm. people who were creating content on them. It, I was very much in a in a right place, right time sort of scenario. The wisdom I got a few years after I created that course was, no, 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 don't create these large monolithic courses. Instead, like your original course had 13 modules. Well, you should have considered just creating 13 separate smaller courses. And then you mm-hmm. could have, you know, offered, you know, different tiers where, you know, yeah. one tier to, to purchase the course could be like two or three modules that are similar. And then next year you get, you know, eight modules or like you could buy the whole thing for once for like a, a one-time fee or whatever. And again, mm-hmm. they all would have been separate. The, the user could have had more of a choose your own adventure style of like what course they want to self-select into. That would have done better, I think, in the long run. But back then, I just didn't, I didn't know that. And to your mm-hmm. point, the momentum piece is, is super, super important, especially if you want to feel like your customers are getting value out of the content you create. Because the honest truth in, in info product creation is that some people just buy on a whim because they one day hope to study that topic or you're offering a discount or a sale. So there's a sense of urgency that they should buy right now. But a lot of people who buy your content, like they'll download that PDF and it'll just sit in their download folders for like all eternity. Like they may never even open it. I mean, and good, like that's fine. Like that's their choice. They made a decision to spend their money on on your content and you got paid for it. But still like that's for most content creators, for course creators, that's not the situation that they want. They want their customers to be successful. So if you can yeah. do it on the shorter side, I, I think you're going to be more successful in the long run. No, you're 100% right. Breaking out, if you have a lot of content, breaking out into several courses obviously gives you bundling opportunities. It also gives you this possibility to create more of like the traditional educational institution setup where you have like 101, 201, 301 type levels and you can't get to those next ones until you unlock you know, the previous which again, gets people committed because they may be like, oh, I really want to get to that higher level because there's something there I want to learn. Um, so they'll be going through the lower levels. That was a good strategy. That makes sense. You know, 
in terms of content, like what did you see that was the most successful on the, on the LearnDash platform? Is it text? Is it video or, or some other medium? I mean, it has to have video of some kind. I mean, that's just the world we live in. I think it has to be a combination too. I don't know if you've ever taken a course where it's only video. I, I've taken courses like that and I'm kind of like roll my eyes a little bit because I'm like, oh, I got to sit here and watch this. If people are using video, I always encourage them to give the learner complete control over like the play bar so they can skip back and forth, do everything. I know there's some folks I like, they're just going to block that all off. So you're watching it, but that's annoying, especially if there's just intros and stuff that you don't want to sit through. But a combination of video and text will go a long way. Only text is not going to fare well for any course creator because it doesn't get people excited. And probably there's a competitor with video. So you at least need video. And then maybe some text and some downloads to support that. Uh, if it's the video is short enough, even transcript would be would be helpful. It's so funny you mentioned that because for probably the first two and a half, three years running Biomet Church, I did not create video. I hated video. I was like, I am a writer. I like have been writing my whole life. Like I, I did a PhD. Like I, I write. I don't create video. So everything I did was was writing. And I had people asking me for video. I was like, no, no, like I really, I really don't want to do it. And that that course I was describing earlier, the 160 some lesson course, that was all text, not not an ounce of video. Oh. And eventually, like I did create video for other courses, other books I created, like a video accompaniments for for each chapter. I think the video, without a doubt, raised sales. And the video, like, was kind of bolted on for some of the original earlier courses. Like it was an afterthought. It was like oh, Black Friday's coming up. I'm just going to block off a week of my time and just make myself miserable and record all this video and like whatever. And then I can bundle it up and sell it for Black Friday. Happy I did that because that made a lot of sales. And even today, my mindset towards video has changed. Like I actually don't mind purchasing a course that has video on it because provided that I can watch it at 2 or 3x, like I'm pretty happy with that. Yep. Then I can like yep. sit down at the end of the evening with some headphones on like my iPad and just like blaze through this large course in just a couple nights. That's sure. pretty helpful. And at the and at that point, I'm not really trying to get mastery level over a topic. I just want to understand the key points. That way, I can go to Google and like look. I have the look up what I need to learn more about. I have the the vocabulary of whatever that topic is about. And I think that's super important for people to understand. Is if you're creating a course, part of your responsibility is to give the end user the set of keywords, the vocabulary, the nuances that you use in whatever your area of expertise is, because then the end user, they can take that and they can go to Google, they can search, they can find other content that actually mm -hmm. interests them. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think video, like it, it to add to that, the video doesn't have to be the main method for conveying the information. Like in your case, you use text and that's fine. I think having a video, even just as an intro, because then it lets the student or learner get to know you and it makes it more personal because people want to learn from people they feel like they know or they like. And that's just good for the brand. That's good for your business. I've seen people do just intros or high level summaries. And then there'll be a bunch of text and then another video kind of in the lesson that's like, here's me doing a demo of what I just told you. And it's like five minutes, right? And they're just doing a screen share. And hey, this is what I talked about. That stuff goes a long way. Oh, it, it totally does. You know, with Pymes Search, I'd authored over 500 tutorials on that on that blog about computer vision, all technical content. And in the, probably the last year and a half, two years of, of me operating it, we decided to create video content for each blog post. 
And mm-hmm. it really wasn't that big of a deal. I thought it was going to be like a terrible experience. I thought I was going to add tremendous amount of work for the week that I would do for my normal content schedule. But really, it didn't. Most of the work went into prepping the code for the blog post, uh, writing it. By the time I actually got around to recording, it only took me like 20 minutes per post. I was like, wow, this is actually a lot a lot easier than I thought it was. And after doing it for two or three months, I won't say I actually got to the point that I truly enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. it became like not a big deal to me. And I think that's yeah. super important if you're kind of have my mentality of like, oh, text is king because, you know, SEO and you want, you know, Google to index your, your content, you know, you might put video on the back burner. But I think video is really important for retention. It can increase time on site, which Google is going to like. It's going to allow you to rank better in search results. And plus, mm-hmm. you know, as artificial intelligence algorithms get better, video is going to become more searchable, more indexable. Potentially, even in the next few years, I think YouTube could maybe not beat out Google in terms of search traffic, but probably get pretty close. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I have a question for you because we played around with gamification using LearnDash and and various other systems. Yeah. Is gamification still a thing? Because it seems like there's a right way to do it and a completely, totally wrong way to do it. Yeah. No, it's a thing, but you're right. I think what happened is, is the case with any tech trend, in this case, e-learning trend, is something became available and then people went way overboard with it. Now, LearnDash, if I recall, implemented the gamification elements and was the first one in 2014. And obviously now all WordPress and some of the hosted ones have a gamification element. I think the best example of gamification done in an effective way is from Duolingo, which is the, the free platform for learning language. There's a lot of you know flashing elements and and you know your little backpack of badges and all that, which is probably useful in the context of learning language, which can just be a grind. There is a right and wrong way to do it, and I think people forget that gamification also means points and just emails and interactions, and those are less sexy than you know the badges flying on screen and all those cool sound effects, but they get the job done. And the point of gamification again is to create a sense of commitment to the product. Now, people don't really think about this, but one of the first forms of gamification in our lives was points for when you were using your credit card. You know, you use your credit card, you get points, and then you can do something with those points. What does that do? It creates a commitment to the brand, the card that you're using. That's the same concept with a course. If you log into a course and you take the first lesson and you knock it out and then you get five points and then like an email or a notice explaining, like, hey, we have a point system. And when you get 30 points, you can unlock this special download. Okay, suddenly there's a goal that's been created, a commitment, you know, an attempt to create a commitment to the course, get people moving, completing that first lesson. And in that first few lessons, if you create that tangible goal or something that's worthwhile based on accumulating these points, then you create that momentum in the course as well. So somebody's now committed into the course, but at the beginning, you really want to start getting them hooked and introduce them to the gamification element right away, explaining why it matters. I think the unsuccessful methods are when people just have points and stuff flashing on screen, but nobody really cares because nobody's explained why it's a good thing. Yeah, I think you can make gamification not gimmicky, even even in today's age when gamification, as you said, just kind of gets thrown into things where it really shouldn't be used for. But I'm imagining a system where someone joins your course and after they get like halfway through it, maybe they're told that you'll record them like a a custom like two minute video like 
you know, congratulating them, like reviewing some of their work, providing like next steps. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not going to scale, especially, you know, if you start getting thousands of users. But for those initial set of users, that could really be a bit sure. loyalty. Or, you know, if you're in a, a really popular niche where there's a lot of public interest in the topic, I think it would be really cool to leverage something like Cameo and be like, hey, like you're learning how to like shoot hoops and like perfect your layup. You know, if you like complete this course, I'm going to pay for a cameo to get like Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen to record a custom video for you. Like that could be like another incentive. Like there are ways to do this in non-gimmicky, cool ways. Yeah, definitely. And I'd say just choose one or two ways and go with that. You don't have to overdo it with, you know, different methods. So now that LearnDash has been acquired, what have you been up to? (laughs) Well, obviously, initially after the acquisition, I'm still on board as an advisor for for a year, more involved in the day-to-day initially after. And since that time, it's completely the other team and their ideas and everything they're running with it. They have questions they can ask me, of course. But a big part of that was just learning my new role in, in the business and then taking a break and just you know, sitting still, which is really hard to do. I have a lot of different interests. So my mind would start going. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So, oh, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. But I just, you know, took a moment for myself. We had some life stuff going on. And and my wife and I looking for, you know, looking for a new home. So took a step back and actually was through that silence that I came upon Gap Scout. And, you know, that opportunity arose. And now that, you know, that's come to the forefront, that's what I'm doing now. So what exactly is Gap Scout then? Yeah, the need for Gap Scout is actually kind of interesting. So I consider myself a very competitive person. And back when I was running LearnDash, you know, that competitiveness and the marketing and the positioning, that all came from me. And the point of that was, or how I did that was by looking at my market. And this was coming even before launch, looking at the market, what was available, finding the gaps, then exploiting that gap and, and competing in that gap and owning that gap. And so one of the ways I did this was looking at reviews. It was the easiest way to do market research. And I think it's something so easy that people overlook. And now is a different time than back then. I mean, there's so many review sites for software or for any service that people are telling you that market is telling you exactly what they want, what they value, you know, what they don't like, and where they're going. A lot of times they're saying, oh, I went to this other product. This information is all available but sifting through it can be a challenge because you're creating you know, spreadsheets or trying to keep track of the different themes. And maybe you're only able to do a few at a time. The point of Scout is to leverage the best in AI and machine learning to do this across many different sites for your industry, whether it's for your business or your competitors, to then spot those themes and those gaps that you can go after in your business. I think it'd be so valuable to analyze your own brand to see you know, why customers you know, don't like your your site because that gives you good things to fix. But I love taking customer reviews and testimonials, like the, the positive ones, and turning those into headlines and copy because yes. there's no better voice in the world to construct a headline than your customers. And if you yep. hire like quality professional copywriters, they spend actually very little time writing and they spend most of their time researching and trying to find those customer reviews because they want to communicate in the exact same language, the exact same words that your customers are using. That's a great point and a great little sales hack and something that I'm trying to build into the AI and machine learning component with, with Gap Scout is finding those headlines, those sales messages. Because when somebody writes a one-star or five-star review, it's usually the most emotionally charged. 
reaction to the product, good or bad. And in that is gold, like it, the perfect headlines that, you know, for what people are looking for, gets them excited or makes them really angry. And what's really nice about the ones that make them really angry, say you go to a competitor and you see some one-star reviews and they're really angry about something and they're all harping on the same thing. You can take that and twist it and put it onto your sales page about how you don't do that or how you fix that issue. And somebody's going to be like, oh, that speaks to me because I have that problem or I see people having that problem and they've solved it. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you go to like review sites and people are complaining about customer support. Like I, I purchased my product, but I have trouble logging in and I emailed, uh, I emailed <laughs> them and I, I never heard back. And then I had to like call my credit card company and issue, issue a charge back. Or you know, mm-hmm. I, I went through the course and I had some questions and I emailed the, the course creator and they never got back to me. Well, if you're seeing a lot of those, then just go to your site, to your sales page, and maybe, maybe not your main header for what the course is about, but maybe a few bullet points down, you say customer support that doesn't suck. And then like yep. you explain like what you do, what your process is. Like maybe you provide some sort of guarantee. Like if you email me, like I'll get back to you within, you know, two business days. Like you provide that level of guarantee. So I think I think it's awesome. And what I'd be really curious about is if you analyze those reviews and you found like the emotionally charged ones, if you took those and then piped them into these these AI text generators. You know, mm-hmm. you see them to write headlines, you see them to write uh yep. you know, tweet lists and everything. I'd be really curious to see what could happen if, if you pipe that data through one of those generators. Yeah, that would be fascinating. And I think, you know, those are the, that's the direction it's going to be going in. I think to get the MVP out, there's some, a core set of features, definitely. But exactly that kind of roadmap is, is what I'm interested in, in providing people. And the target market for this are, are people like you and I, like the solopreneur, the person just starting up, or maybe the small business, they're trying to compete against the big guy. I'll give another example of where you can find golden reviews. I was, Actually, I wrote a blog post about this on, on the Gap Scout blog, but I was looking at hosting companies within the WordPress space. And I went and looked at the different reviews of one particular provider that does really well. And I was looking at the negative reviews. And coming from the stance of like, all right, if I had my own hosting company, like how would I take on this really crowded market? Or how would I try to create a message that resonated? And of course, you're right, there's always the support piece, but I was looking for something a little bit more unique in terms of something to separate on. And this particular company, there are several reviews about overage charges, overage charges, or or something in that vein. And that's something I would have never known had I not looked at that person's review. I went to some other companies, there were some other similar frustrations from people that got bills that were higher than what they expected. And that kind of thing, like that's a huge pain point and a really negative experience that could be taken and say, like, you know, we don't punish you for your success. Like, we won't hurt you for your success. Zero overage charges, right? And putting that to the forefront, unlike your competitors or unlike a lot of folks in the industry and you give examples or whatever. And then even you use that messaging across different parts of your sales site. Maybe you have a comparison table at the top, overage charges, no. Yes, like with your competitor, you know, so like that's how you can find things to feed your sales site and just looking at the reviews, what the market is saying and Gap Scout's going to make that easy to do across, you know, a wide variety of reviews and sites. I love that idea. And one of the earlier episodes of this podcast, I described how smaller companies can compete against larger, more established companies by finding like a small niche that maybe Mm -hmm. the large company has a tiny, tiny amount of content in, but you want to specialize in and you want to own and dominate that niche. So you create content exclusively within that niche and you 
kind of drive this wedge into the larger company. And then you dominate that small niche. But yes. once you have that audience, and you could start leveling up to like the, the more popular content. And you just kind of climb this ladder to the top until like you're almost on the same playing field. And I think Gap Scout would just be a phenomenal tool for that because now you're doing it for the pain points that these customers are having with, with the existing company. It helps you craft your, your copy. And maybe it even helps you identify that niche, that wedge that you're going to drive into it. So I just, I love it. I think it's an awesome idea. Yeah, and think about it from the context of people creating courses, right? There's a ton of courses probably already on the subject and there's probably reviews as well. Looking even at the positive reviews of competitors, even at the positive reviews that they put on their own site, actually those can be the best because that's how they see themselves as differentiating in the market. And you can get a sense of like, okay, that's their approach. I'm going to do a twist on that or I'm, I'm going to make sure I don't do the same because they're actually, they own that one really well. I need to have a different message than them. You can do the same thing. I mean, there's reviews obviously for software, physical products, online courses, digital products. Anybody that's creating an online course should do market research with the people that are also in their space. They have courses. Don't just say like, oh, I'm going to create the best one and everybody's going to find it. No, you need to have a unique approach to how you sell it. I think that's a great point to, to wrap us up on, Justin. If a listener wants to connect with you or chat with you, what's the best place to find you at? Honestly, the best place I'm probably the most active on is Twitter. Just my, my name, Justin Fairman. There's also gapscout.com. If you uh, go there, you can sign up to be on the early beta list as well. And uh, you can also reach out hello at gapscout.com. Perfect. Thanks so much for being here, Justin. All right. Thank you. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review in whatever podcast or app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.